There are a few things that will get me pumped up, like watching a superhero movie, like feel like, hey, I'm ready to take on the world uh, now. Now, you might be kind of wondering, like, how do you do an At The Movies series? Like, we're at church. I thought we were going to hear about the Bible and stuff like that. Well, you, I mean, you obviously don't read your Old Testament because Wonder Woman is in there. Spider-Man is in there. Doctor Strange, too. Like, they're all... Okay, maybe they're not in there. However, if you've ever read a book or watched a movie or TV show, you know that throughout any narrative, any story, the themes of life are woven through. And the creator of life, God, like all those things point back to him and there, there are ways that we can see him move and his story in our stories, the things that we share. And so that's incredibly true about Wonder Woman. In fact, there's this one scene in the movie, so spoiler alert, by the way, at the movies thing, we're going to be talking about movies, all that kind of stuff. So if you haven't seen it, I'm sorry, but like there, there's one scene where there's this obvious point to Wonder Woman being kind of like a Christ figure uh, that's there in the movie. I mean, it's almost blatant in the ways and the themes that are going uh, through that. So we'll talk about that in a, in a minute. Now, how many of you saw the movie? Any of you see the movie? Okay, not actually not as many as did in the first service. Now, how many of you have seen um, the old school TV show with Linda Carter, you know, all right, so every morning you like twirl in front of your mirror and you're ready for the day. Uh, how many of you have ever seen the old school cartoon with the invisible jet that had the white outline on it? All right, so, so you know, like there was a, uh, a lot of times I'll, I'll sing to Renee, I'll be like, Wonder Woman, you know, like, and she's like, where did that come from? So I pulled up the old school Wonder Woman uh, TV show intro thing and she, you know, rolled her eyes and uh, like like she did before. So it didn't really change the reaction uh, there. But this was a great movie. Uh, even though it was DC, Marvel is better. Uh, even though this is a DC. All right, thank you. Okay. All right. Uh, even though this is a DC movie, it's a great movie. Um, I, I want to give you a little bit of the plot for those of you that haven't seen it and aren't going to kind of explain what happens in the movie. So Wonder Woman grows up. Her name is Diana. Uh, she becomes Diana Prince. But she grows up on this island isolated from the rest of the world. She is there as part of the Amazons who were created by Zeus. This is all true. It really happened. Uh, who's created by Zeus to be protectors of the world, uh, very specifically against a, an evil represented in one of his sons, Ares, who's the god of war. He's spreading evil. Uh, he's, he's basically killed off all the gods, and so the Amazons are there. They're training for this ultimate battle and confrontation with, with Ares. Now, all this, you know, Diana grows up in this safe uh, place where she's training, but she's with her family, no outside influences from the world until their bubble the bubble of safety is popped by this guy named Steve Trevor, who, of course, is an American spy in World War I, who's flying this plane through, brings evil to the shores of the island. The Nazis are chasing him and trying to kill him, and, and this gets Wonder Woman on this, this quest to save the world from the evil influence of Ares. Okay, So you have an idea of what's going on here. Now, towards the end of the movie, we have the big showdown between Wonder Woman and Ares, who turns out is her brother. Ooh, like, oh man, mind blown, this is crazy, what a twist. And Ares is talking uh, to Wonder Woman, to Diana, and he's, she's try, he's trying to convince her to join him. And the way that he's done this is he's pointing out all the evil of humanity. He's saying, look at, look at how worthless these people before. In fact, Diana has just suffered an incredible personal loss right before this. She's enraged by this. She's 
just wrecking shop, which is amazing. That's why I love action movies. Uh, and and Aries is saying, see how see how evil these people are. See how worth all they need is a little nudge, and and they just do all kinds of incredible evil in the world. And she finally kind of snaps out of it and says, yeah. yeah there's, they're capable of great evil, but, but even better than that, even more important than that, they're capable of great love and self-sacrifice, the things that defeat and destroy evil. In fact, at the very end of the movie, her big conclusion about what's going to uh, keep her pressing on throughout history and what's going to define what she does in life is this phrase. She says, only love can save the world. Like that, that's what the world needs. So a lot of great themes in the movie that would preach really well, especially that one. I mean, that's the whole of the Bible, right? The, way, the reason that Jesus came, died, buried, and was raised again. It was all love. Love saves the world, and that's the great theme of the Bible. But there are a couple other things that Wonder Woman says and does throughout the movie um, that, that are pretty incredible as well that kind of set the foundation for that statement. You remember, for those of you that have seen the movie, when she's in the trench, and she's heading to, she's going to go fight, you know, the big showdown with Ares. And that's her life mission is to find Ares. And then she's confronted by this innocent woman who just is pleading for help. And she says, here are all the things that have happened here in this place, all the evil and the atrocities that, are, that have happened. And instead of continuing on, Wonder Woman stops. And she says, no, we, we can't ignore what's happened here. I have these grandiose, you know, things and plans and ideas and things, you know, go off, off to Aries, but I can't ignore what's happening here. And she says, she says this, because Steve Trevor is like, no, we got to go to the front. And she says, it is our sacred duty to defend the world. And that is what I'm going to do. Man, I got pumped at that scene because she does the thing where she goes, you know, in the place and she's got the bracelets and the lasso and the shield and the sword and she does the stuff. Like, I'm trying not to reveal too much about the movie to you, so not too descriptive there. I mean, that was a, that was a pretty awesome sequence of things that happens after that, which, which is great. But the, there's, one, there's one particular scene that really set the tone and the foundation and set the stage for Wonder Woman becoming who she is. And I love this observation that, that somebody made uh, about this movie. Is, is it really all starts at the island before she leaves? It's that night, she's going to leave secretly, and her mom catches her because somehow she magically knows that her daughter's going to leave. And she comes and she says, look, Diana, if you, if you leave, everything is going to change in your life. Everything's going to be different. You could die. You're going to be putting yourself in danger. Like, you're not going to be able to come home again. Our relationship is, is not going to be the same anymore. Every, everything is going to change. It's going to be different. And her response in that moment to her mom is, but who will I be if I stay? Man, I mean, just kind of a powerful moment right there. Not just between a mother and her daughter, but just like among, between humans. Or, well, they're Amazons, because it really happened. But who, who will I be if I stay? Like, if I, if I know I'm created for a purpose and I have this responsible, uh, responsibility to save and protect the world, like, what does it mean if I ignore that responsibility? Who will I be if I stay? And as Christ followers, we, we have this same question kind of asked of us. As Christians, God has, God has given us through Jesus this commission, this, this job, this responsibility of, of going, of not staying in, in our life. If we don't go, 
you and I don't fulfill our reason for being here or continuing to be here as Christians. We don't fulfill our commission that God has given us. Now, it's not, it's not about you going for yourself where you're going to feel better about life, you're going to feel more fulfilled and, and all these things you're going to check off and you make God love you more if, if you go into all the world teaching and baptizing and teaching everyone what Jesus has commanded them. It, it's not about you. It's, it's about the other people that need us to go that need us not to stay. Our job in life is to leave safety. It's to leave the protective, invisible bubble that's around us, whether that's Christian subculture, whether that's the walls of this building, whether or not that's your family or the walls of your house and the comfort and safety that's there. We're called, our job is to go. It's to go and face evil, to protect others from it and save other people that are in the midst of it. That's why, as a church, our mission is helping people find Jesus and love God. Like that, That's the how that we have in place to accomplish our reason for existing as a church. Our vision for this church, the reason why Velocity was started 11 years ago, is to accelerate faith journeys toward God so that anybody who comes up into contact with this church, which is, which is you and me and First Service, that, that they would come to know who God is, that they would be moved toward him, that they wouldn't stay where they are now, but they would continue to grow closer to him. Here's where this really makes this tough. is The, the reason that it's not safe to do that, is the reason why it's not safe to go, is because of the evil in the world. It's because that when we do that, we're confronted with the fact that we have to interact with people we just don't like. People that a lot of times we think, we think about, man, they probably don't really deserve our time and our effort. People who probably have at some point turned their back on you and me. People who at some point have, have burned us and, and aren't worth maybe in our thinking the time and effort that it would take to go after and pursue them and to let them know that God loves them even though maybe we don't like them. Jesus deals with this pretty regularly when it comes to the religious leaders of the day that he would interact with. Uh, in Luke chapter 15, which is the text that we're going to be looking at this morning, Jesus has a very specific conversation with religious leaders who are prejudiced against the very people that they should be leading to God. In Luke chapter 15, verses 1 and 2, this is what Luke records for us. Now, the tax collectors and sinners were all gathering around to hear Jesus. But the Pharisees and the teachers of the law muttered, this man welcomes sinners and eats with them. I don't know that I really read that very well. I mean, because as Luke is writing this, you should kind of hear and feel and see the disdain dripping from the page as they say this. The, the, the Pharisees and the teachers of the law, this, this phrase saying, this man welcomes sinners and eats with them. Like this is one of the worst insults that they could possibly make for a person and particularly for Jesus as a teacher and as a leader. They, they mean this in the worst way possible, that Jesus has got to be the worst. I mean, he's a terrible person because of the time he spends with these types of people. Tax collectors, I, I don't know if you know this, they're, they're kind of like tax franchisees where they would actually bid for the opportunity to go around and collect taxes from uh, their fellow Jews. And so they were looked at as being the worst. Because what they would do, the reason they would get wealthy and make money is they would charge more than they're supposed to. 
And we all love the IRS, right? I mean, so we can think about if somebody was able to come and say, I'm going to charge you more than what you actually owe so I can make a few bucks on the side. Like, okay, I like those people. Uh, so they were viewed terribly. Then sinners, well, those are common people. Those are the people who didn't care to live life the way that the religious leaders of the day were telling them to. All the extras that they had given to them, they're commoners. They're not as holy as we are. They're not as righteous as we are. You're just wasting your time with these people. And so that's, that's how they saw Jesus. And then Jesus tells them this parable. Verse 4, chapter 15. He says, suppose one of you has a hundred sheep and loses one of them. Doesn't he leave the 99 in the open country and go after the lost sheep until he finds it? And when he finds it, he joyfully puts it on his shoulders and goes home. Then he calls his friends and neighbors together and says, Rejoice with me, I found my lost sheep. I tell you that in the same way, there will be more rejoicing in heaven over one sinner who repents than over 99 righteous persons who do not need to repent. So here's what Jesus did. He's talking to these Pharisees, these religious elite, and he's saying, you know, I, I, want, you to, I want you to think about the type of people that you disdain, that you don't like so much. And I want you to think about how they operate and interact in, in their lives. See, I, I'm going to bring you down kind of to their level and see what's going on here. You look at these shepherds. Shepherds were not people that they held in great and high esteem, although the Bible does, calls Jesus the good shepherd. But these people, they would not have held shepherds in high esteem. He said, look at, look at how they treat even their animals animals, that they're in this situation in which they have one of their sheep out of a hundred, you've got plenty more over here, will wander, wander away and they will drop everything to go after that sheep. How much more should you as human beings care more about the humans that are around you? He's saying that you, you don't even treat other people as well as the people you don't like treat their animals. So you need to think and reevaluate how you view the people that you don't like in your life. See, the shepherds, they cared for their sheep. They spent time with them. The sheep would know them, know their voices so well because of how much time and interact, interaction they would have uh, with them that they would come running when called. A lot of times they would give sheep a pet name like Bill or something like that. And, and they, would, they would love them. They would spend the time out in the field with them. They would uh, lay down in front of the gate when they brought them in uh, from pasture into their pen. They would protect them from lions and tigers and bears. Hey, you guys are great. You guys are great. This is, this is how they would treat uh, their sheep. But the value they placed on the sheep was not on the sheep's ability to take care of itself. It, it was because they, they loved them more, more than anything else. There was a bond that they had there. The shepherds went into caring for the sheep knowing that they're dumb. By the way, we're called sheep in the Bible. Just, just saying. They, they go into it knowing that they're dumb sheep. You know, it's kind of like when you go on a field trip and all the kids, you know, you wear the same color shirt and stuff like that. And you think everybody should be able to kind of stay with each other. But there's always that one kid, right, that always is getting lost and wandering off. His name's Bill. And, and, and he's going off, and, and he's wandering off. He's going to get hungry. He's going to get dehydrated. Uh, predator's going to come along. Like, that's how sheep are. You would think, hey, stay with the group, guys. Come on, we're going over to this pasture. And they would wander off and, and get themselves in trouble. And that's kind of what, what they did. They were dumb, and yet the shepherds loved them, not because, just because they had some materialistic value, but they had intrinsic value because of their existence, that they were worth loving and taking care of because they were in their charge. And so they would drop 
even though they had 99 other sheep that were doing good. You would think, well, he should go to them and encourage them and say, tell them how good they are because that, you know, they're good boys and girls because they're staying together. Now nah, he drops everything and he goes after the one who is lost, who is caught up in the evil and is probably doing something he's not supposed to be doing. And this is the thing I think that we get caught up into when we think about other people, whether or not they're worth going after, is I think that's how Satan kind of gets us from caring about other people that we don't necessarily like or don't really necessarily matter to us. Because we put peoples in categories where they're not as worth as much as we are or the time that we spend with other people might be. This is kind of Aries' argument for Wonder Woman at the end of the movie. He says, hey, these people are worthless. Like, they're caught up in evil. They're not worth saving or doing, you know, being self-sacrificial for. Don't worry about them. I think the real thing for Aries is he had daddy issues. You know, Zeus had created this creation. He loved them. And I think Aries kind of felt a little left out. Maybe that was Satan's issue as well is that humanity has this different connection uh, between us and God that the angels don't get to enjoy. And maybe a part of that is just like, you know what, I feel, I feel kind of slighted here, so I'm going to make sure everybody else does. So he's going to make sure you feel worthless in the face of God, and he's going to make you think other people's, people are worthless in the face of God, when the reality is everyone matters to God. Even, and maybe even particularly the people that you don't like or the people you don't think matter to God. Those people matter to God. Those are the people that God perfectly models for us as the shepherd, that, that he will leave the 99 who are, who are okay. Like, they're, they're, they're doing great. There they, are some other workers to, ha- to hang out with them and the, and the little shepherd boy to, to spend some time with him. And will go off for that, that sheep who's wandered off for Bill, who's wandered off. And throws a party for him when he comes back, when he calls together his friends and his family. This is something worth celebrating. It's, it's why, like, when we, when we do baptisms here at the church, we've got baptisms Sunday coming up on the 27th. We do them through, throughout the year. Like, that's, that's one of the best tangible things that we can do as a church when it comes to salvation. Because it's this physical representation, this moment of God saving it's why we celebrate that. It's why we clap. It's why we cheer. You know, it's like, like a funeral or something like that. That the old is being washed away and the new, the new is coming. And it's this ma- amazing celebration that we get to uh, that we get to take part in. Well, the reason that that happens is because it's happened for you and it happens for other, some for other people. Is because somebody in your life, in their life, was willing to be self-sacrificial to leave the safety of their bubble and come after you. When you were stuck in the midst of evil, when you were lost, that you and I are here this morning, get to enjoy the hope of eternity with God because Jesus left the safety and security of heaven to come down for us, the lost, to die on the cross for our sins and to be raised again, to become a living sacrifice so that we could be reconciled to God. And so you and I get to enter into this life of repentance. Where it's constantly, not saying sorry all the time to God, but it's us pursuing God and pursuing others to join us in pursuit, pursuit of God. That, that you and I get to um, walk away from our own safety, not for our own benefit, but to benefit others for eternity. One of the reasons that we categorize or alienate or label people is, is to keep them separated for, from us so that we can feel a sense of superiority. 
and, and, it, and it removes the, the culpability or the, or the responsibility that we have to, to seek after or be in relationship or pursue those people the way that God does. And sometimes, one of the things that makes it tough is sometimes we are superior. Like, let's be transparent for just a minute. Sometimes we are better. You know, we think about white supremacists, domestic terrorists who come to our state this weekend. And we, well, like, we can just say categorically, that's evil. Like, there's no caveat to that. Just bottom line, it's, it's evil, it's atrocious, it's despicable. There's nothing that we want anything to do with that. That's so far beyond anything that we want to be associated with. Like, it's just, it's just horrible stuff. They're horrible people. They're not worth our time and our effort. Like, that's, that's where we could go with our sense of superiority. But this superiority that we have is not something from within ourselves and our own choices. It's what God has done through us through Jesus. And so this is what happens. Instead of being disconnected from that in our superiority, we step into that. We speak into that. We speak love and we speak light into that darkness where we recognize that the voice that will be louder in those moments will be God's love for us, God's love for our fellow man. And that even when evil is being loud, even when evil is gathering, love can conquer that when you and I are willing to step out and to go. The way we treat other people, the way that we speak into their lives, the way that we act, interact with them, gives them a picture of how God cares about them. The way we treat other people, whether or not we, we care about them or, or let them know that they matter, when they know that we're a Christian, that we follow Jesus, it, it gives them a picture of how God is meant to care for them. And so if there are people that we stay disconnected from because we don't think they're worthy enough, like we give them the idea that God feels the same way. See, shepherds care for their sheep knowing that they're going to face evil. They know that that's a part of the equation, that they're going to have to fight off the things that come in to steal and kill and destroy the sheep that are in their care. They, they know that that's a part, a part of the job. And maybe, maybe you get caught up sometimes wondering if the evil that's around you or the, around other people uh, you know, means that, well, maybe there isn't a God who loves me in this moment. Well, you and I, as Christ followers, get to stand in that gap to show that, that God does love. That, that we are going to pursue because God does. God doesn't care about our opinion on whether or not someone is lovable or not. He calls us to love them, to invest in them, to build relationships with them. Paul uh, contextualizes this in 1 Corinthians chapter 9, and here's, here's how he has decided to live his life because of what God has done through Jesus. He says, Though I am free and belong to no one, I have made myself a slave to everyone to win as many as possible. To the Jews, I became like a Jew to win the Jews. To those under the law, I became like one under the law, though I myself am not under the law, so as to win those under the law. To those not having the law, I became like one not having the law, though I'm not free from God's law, but I'm under Christ's law, so as to win those not having the law. To the weak, I became weak to win the weak. I've become all things to all people so that by all possible means, I might save some. I do all of this for the sake of the gospel, that I may share in his blessings. So what, what does that look like? What does it look like? Even, even though you and I have freedom, we, 
we self-sacrifice the way that Jesus did for us and make ourselves slaves to everyone so that they might be one and found? Well, ask yourself questions like, can you be bothered to change your schedule to accommodate somebody else to show the love of God with them? Can, can you be asked to amend your interests to connect with the interests of others so that they can experience and know the love of Christ in their lives? One of the temptations, and I, and I do mean to say temptation very specifically there, one of the temptations that we have in our life is that when we follow God and, and the drama has started to be removed from our lives because we've been consistent with him and walking as Jesus, Jesus walked, is that, man, now, now I'm in a drama-free zone, that repentance has le- led me to that, and that's amazing, it's an amazing feeling. Well, now I don't want to reintroduce that into my life, and so we keep people distant, you know, certain people, right? Those people. And yet that's exactly what what we're meant to do with our repentance. Like that's, that's why we get to a drama-free place in our life so that we can step in and help others in the midst of their drama in their life. Like that's, that's how we show the love of God with other people. It frees us to be available for others. And so we ask, who, who will I be if I stay? Who will I become if I go? And if the response you know, to that is something about you, and what you want to have in, into your life, then you might not be focused on the person who is mattering to God in that moment. Because everyone matters to him. God is for everyone. So what, what does that look like practically this week as you, as you live your life? Maybe this week, because of what has happened this weekend, for example, maybe it looks like you going to a coworker or a friend or a neighbor who's a different ethnicity, who, who has a different religion, who has different political views. And, and maybe, it's, maybe it's spending some time with him over lunch or coffee and saying, man, what, what, what's going on here? Like, what, what, what's going on in your life? And, and use that as an to- opportunity to see how you can show the love of Christ and, and, and maybe even lead to the joy of salvation in that relationship with that person. Maybe beyond this week, it just it looks like in the people in your lives, the friends, neighbors, coworkers, in your family members, whoever it is, maybe it's spending the celebratory light, a time in their life where they have something that's going on. There, there's a ball game or there's a cookout or something that we can do where we can, we can take this focus off of ourselves and put it on them to, to celebrate or, or to help lead to celebration even when times are evil or dark in, in those moments in their life. The, the, the bottom line in all of this, though, is, is don't stay. Don't, don't just stay, but go. Go after the one that God has put in your life. And it will change things for the world. Every week at Velocity, we celebrate and proclaim the fact that Jesus didn't stay, that he didn't stay distant and separate. That's, that's one of the most unique things about the Christian faith is, is that God doesn't stay at a distance and say, this is what you gotta do to make me happy. He comes and does it all for us. That's what grace looks like. And here's, here's our response in 1 John chapter 3. This is how John uh, describes this in verses 16 through 18. He says, this is how we know what love is, that Jesus Christ laid down his life for us. And as a result, we ought to lay down our lives for our brothers and sisters. If anyone has material possessions and sees a brother or sister in need but has no pity on them, how can the love of God be in that person, dear children, let us not love with words or speech, but with actions and in truth. Don't stay. Let's pray. 
God, thank you for this time of worship. Uh, thank you for the love of Jesus and the help and the guidance of your Holy Spirit. And God, we ask that you make it clear this week how we are meant to be present in the lives of those who need you. Uh, God, give us the heart for the lost, for, for the sheep that's wandering out there, that, that even if we don't have a heart for that sheep, that, that we would recognize that you do and that, that we would change our perspective and our schedules and our interests and our lives around so that we can pursue them. God, we thank you for salvation and your grace. Help us to share it with others in Jesus' name.